Well, at Christmas, we celebrate uh, the fact that Jesus came as a light in the midst of a dark world, that he came as a light that shines in the darkness. In this fall, into this winter, and and we'll be continuing on into the spring, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, John's story of Jesus' life, uh, where he lifts him up and says that this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. This is what he taught. And John writes all these things, he tells us, so that we might see Jesus that we might believe in him and believing find life in his name. And so this morning we are looking at John chapter 10. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Our reading today is from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as as John tells the story of Jesus, as he exposes us to Jesus' teaching ministry, he doesn't uh, have Jesus telling all of the parables that he tells in the Synoptic Gospels, the stories that we've come to know and love, prodigal son, good Samaritan. John doesn't include those in his stories. In place of parables, John has these long and rich extended metaphors that Jesus uses to describe who he is and what he's like and what kind of relationship he longs for with his people. At one place we've seen he says that I am like bread for a hungry world. At other places he says I'm like living water for a thirsty world. Later he'll say I am the vine and you are the branches. 
right? He uses all of these metaphors to color in for us so that we can start to understand something of who he is and who we are in relation to him and what he offers us. And then this morning, uh, he offers us this beautiful, beautiful metaphor, one of the most intimate uh, of the metaphors in John, that he is like a good shepherd uh, and we are like his sheep. And so as we come to this passage, we want to understand what does it mean? In what ways is Jesus like a shepherd to us? And in what ways are we like sheep? And well, this morning, uh, we have some good news and some bad news. I don't know what, some people like to hear the good news first and then hear the bad news. Some people like to hear the bad news, get it over with so you can get to the good news. You want the bad news first, all right. Well, you're in luck, because uh, that's, that's where we're going. Um, is that in this metaphor, you can really only appreciate the good news if you understand the bad news. Amen. You can really only come to know Jesus as your good shepherd if you first admit that you're a sheep. Amen. If you first accept uh, the, let's be honest, slightly insulting comparison that he says you are like a sheep. And if you don't first admit you're a sheep, you'll never find the shepherd. And make no mistake, uh, it is an insult to be called a sheep. I saw this, uh, this story one morning in 2005. Shepherds uh, were eating their breakfast outside of the town of Gavas, Turkey. And they were surprised as they looked out in the distance to see one lone sheep walk up to a cliff and walk off the cliff and plummet to his death. However, they were stunned when the rest of the nearly 1,500 sheep that were in uh, this herd began one by one to follow their friend off the cliff. Well, the good news, if there is some to be found, uh, is the local paper told the story this way. 450 of the sheep perished in a billowy white pile. However, those that jumped from the middle and end of the herd were saved as the pile became higher and the fall more cushioned. Right, So those puffy, downy sheep uh, in their death saved the lives of their friends um, by cushioning their fall. This village, impoverished as it was, lost $100,000 uh, in its economy, uh, really devastating it. All because sheep are not smart animals. Right? To be called a sheep is not a compliment. Nobody has ever seen, nobody has ever said, hey, have you met such and such? She's really smart. She's sharp as a sheep. <laughs> right? Nobody has ever said, hey, Joe, have you been working out? You look, you look big. You look strong as a sheep. Right? Nobody has ever seen a track star run and say, man, Usain Bolt, he is as graceful and as fast as a sheep. Right? Sheep are dumb. Sheep are weak. Sheep are slow. Sheep are vulnerable. Right, left to themselves without a shepherd, without someone outside of themselves, smarter, wiser, stronger than themselves. Sheep are not able to sustain even their own lives. Right? Nobody, you've never heard anybody saying, and there I was minding my own business, when a herd of sheep stampeded by. Right? Every herd of sheep to survive has to have a shepherd, has to have someone that, that's looking out for them and caring for them, somebody who's protecting them from themselves, from their own weakness. And we, if we want to understand our need for a shepherd, have to admit that we are far more like sheep than we want to admit. 
They were not as smart as we think we are. They were not as strong as we'd like to believe, not as independent as we wish we were. We're not nearly as good as we pretend to be. We have to admit that we are sheep. The Center for Disease Control recently investigated, uh, you know, typically they devote themselves to studying outbreaks of, of contagious diseases. They gave themselves recently the project of investigating uh, a cluster, what they call a suicide cluster, of teenagers in Palo Alto, California, who had taken their own lives. Interestingly, Palo Alto, this had happened twice in the span of about a decade, this community had been afflicted uh, by this outbreak of teen suicides. Palo Alto is in Northern California. It is one of the most affluent zip codes in the United States. Stanford University uh, is in Palo Alto. The local high school uh, that, that witnessed these suicides, uh, the statistics say that over 75% of the students in, those high, in that high school have parents with either master's degrees or PhDs. This is a well-educated, wealthy, affluent, upwardly mobile culture. And in the span of nine months in 2004, this high school saw six students in nine months take their own lives, most of them by jumping in front of the train that runs through Palo Alto. And as the Center for Disease Control researched the contributing factors of this, this is what they said in their report. High expectations for students, parental pressure on students for success, and parental denial of mental health issues among their children were what they identified as leading towards uh, this outbreak of suicides. Right, we look at this, these kids needlessly losing their lives under the weight of pressure, and we have to look at it and say, you know what, this is not where we expect to find this level of brokenness. Right, this isn't uh, what we look at and think this is humanity at our worst. This is a neighborhood, this is a community that we look at as humanity at its best. Right, this is us at our best and our brightest, our most high achieving, that when we pursue what we think is best for us, pursuing success, pursuing wealth, pursuing more, that it can put a pressure on us that crushes our children and ourselves. Right, as I read this story of children taking their own lives, I thought of that image of sheep following one another off the cliff. In the words of Jesus, that the thief comes to steal and kill, and destroy. Amen. Right, or think about the news as we see it just as a, 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 at large as a culture, right, where it seems like nearly every day the news is full of, no, of another story of sexual predation, abuse, violation. Right, for the last 60 or 70 years, we as a culture have been pursuing what we think is right for us in our sexuality. Right, that, that, that we've... If, if you looked at 19, 1950s America, probably the norm was more in keeping with chastity and singleness, faithfulness and marriage. But as we saw it more and more and said, no, 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 that's foolish, that's antiquated. You know, anything that two consenting adults want to do should be fine. Well, we find ourselves on the back end of that. We're nearly everyone, if you look at the, 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 the hesitate to use this word, if you look at the apologies, of the men who've been outed as sexual predators of some sort, nearly every one of them to a man says something along the lines of, you know what, I'm sorry, but I misread the signals. I thought that this was consensual. I misread the, my relationship with this woman and I thought she was giving me some type of signal that she wasn't giving. 
right? It's been proven that as, we, as we've left old ways, traditional ways of living out human sexuality, left only with consent, we end up in a power play where, where we, we disagree about what it is, where the powerful take what they want. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If we continue to pursue what we think is right in our own eyes, what we think leads to our good and our flourishing, it will lead us further away. Because like sheep, each one of us wanders, wanders away. But when we admit that we're sheep in need of a shepherd, when we admit that we don't know what's right, when we admit that we're, that we're not as smart as we think we are, that we don't know the good from the bad, that we're not strong enough or good enough or right enough, then we can look up and begin to look for a shepherd. And the God of the Bible, from the Old Testament through to the New, reveals himself to be like a shepherd who longs to take his people to himself like sheep and show them the way that they should go. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, Centuries before the birth of Jesus, God says to his people, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Right, the God of the Bible longs to shepherd his people towards a better life, towards fullness, towards protection, towards safety. Jesus acknowledges in this great metaphor that there were other shepherds that came before him, right? Before God the Father sent God the Son as our good shepherd. There were other should-have-been shepherds, right? Israel had kings. She had prophets. She had priests. She had other leaders who were given to her to shepherd them in the name of their God. And yet the, the story of Israel is a story of human failure, that each one of those shepherds fell short, as every other human leader does fall short. The way Jesus puts it in verse 8, it says, All who came before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Every one of those other should have been shepherds fell short. Every other shepherd that we look to for guidance, for strength, for protection fails us. And so that's why Christmas, that's why God himself, born in the person of Jesus, born in a manger, said, if all of these human shepherds fail my people, I myself will shepherd them. I will come to them in flesh and blood to be their leader, to be their shepherd. Jesus, uh, as he lived his earthly ministry, you know, we've seen the way that he shepherds his sheep in the pages of John's gospel, right? We've seen him with the ashamed woman by the well, shepherding her towards a better life. We've seen him with the paralyzed man beyond hope, shepherding him towards wholeness. Matthew, uh, the way Matthew tells the story is Jesus is going about his ministry as he nears the cross, Matthew tells us that he looks out on the people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks out on us, when he looks at us in our lives, when he looks at uh, the current events of our world, he feels compassion. He has compassion on us because we are like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know how you deal with it when you look out at the world and see the sin around you. Whether it's you see the, the headlines of the news that we've already talked about. When you see the members of political parties arguing back and forth about what's right. Sometimes I give in to anger. I give in to cynicism. 
Sometimes I give in to self-righteousness and judgment of others. But when Jesus looks at the mess that we've made of our lives, he feels compassion. Because as he sees us, we are sheep without a shepherd, each one going our own way. And so the good news is that he comes to us as a good shepherd. And as we see in this passage, that essentially to be a sheep with a good shepherd, uh, it it seems to be uh, that it it has two main emphases for Jesus. The first thing that it means to be a sheep with with a shepherd, with a good shepherd, is to mean that Jesus knows you and he loves you. Right, verse 14, I know my sheep, I know my own, and my own know me. So that to have Jesus as your shepherd is to be known and loved by Jesus. And then it means to know and to love him in return. First, it means to be known and loved by Jesus. To be known as you really are, as you truly are, and to be deeply and abundantly loved. You know, this is uh, the great human longing. Right, every one of us uh, longs at a base level, to be known as we really are and to be loved without condition. Right, we've known little bits of that, but deep down I think we all suspect that, you know what, the people who've loved me, do they really know me? Right, the people who like me, the people who, who, who are around me during good times, the people that I think are my friends, yes, they love me to an extent. But if they really and truly knew me, they knew me to my depths would they would they still be there would they love me right this is why I I love doing weddings Uh, performing weddings is one of my favorite things I get to do as a pastor Uh, not just for the party and the food and the buffet and all that kind of stuff although I appreciate those it's because you're standing with two people on their very best day right people people never look better than they do on their wedding day right it's downhill from there You know, everybody, uh, to get to that day, everybody is dressed as nice as they're ever going to dress. They've been dieting. The groom's been working out. They've got the, you've been working on their tan. They are there. And they've never been happier, right? They've never been more radiant. They've never been more excited about what's brought them to this point. They've never been more excited than to be surrounded by their friends. These are two people at their absolute best standing in front of me holding hands. And what they promise on that day is not to love each other that day, right? That is a cheap promise, right? To, say, to tell someone, I love you right now, is those words are cheap. That's no different than the ways that we exchange promises of, of love and affection any other day. But on that day, at their very best, they look into the future And they say, I promise to love you, not today when you're at your very best, but I promise to love you in the future. I promise to love you when when you're not at your very best, when you're not at your most radiant and skinny and beautiful and joyful and happy. I promise to love you in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want. I always, I'm a little bit of a killjoy at weddings, I always remind the bride and groom that they don't really know each other yet. Right? When you get married, you just think you know the person that you're getting married to. And sure, if you've been honest with each other, you haven't been completely pulling the wool over their eyes. Right? You're getting to know one another. But you actually get to know one another in in the decades of marriage. Right? You actually get to know one another when you're sick and caring for one another. You actually get to know one another when you're suffering together 
when you're celebrating together, when you're uh, parenting together, when you're going through the ups and downs of this life, that's when you get to know each other. And so the vows you take at at a wedding are essentially this. I promise to love you when I realize who you really are. Right? I promise to love you when I meet the real you. That I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to love you as much on that day as I love you on this day. I'm going to love you when I know the real you. And that's what we all long for. Right? Some of you just hearing that. Some of you are single. And you're looking at that and saying, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I long for. Others of you are divorced. And you're thinking, that's what I thought. I had, and that's what I long for. Right. Others of you are married and going, that's what I long for. <laughs> because here's the thing. Every human marriage, even the best human marriage, falls short of that ideal Amen. at a fundamental level. Right? There is no spouse that will know you exactly as you are. Right? Your spouse can't read your thoughts or know every one of your secrets. Can you imagine anything more terrifying (laughs) than if every thought, every bit of your past, every bit of your present was laid bare completely? But Jesus knows every little bit of that. And he knew it about you before he came for you. He knew not only the sins of your past, the ways that you had wandered from him before you knew him. He knows the sins of your future, the, the ways that you will wander from your shepherd when you should know better. He knows you to the core. He knows the very, very worst of you. He knows his own as you really are. And he already says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Knowing the worst about you, nothing, nothing, nothing can take you from my hand, can tear you from my embrace. I know you as you truly are. And I love you uh, in the face of it. You know, this is the the core of knowing who you are, according to the gospel. Right? It's you're willing to admit that you're as vulnerable as a sheep and as valuable as a treasure to Jesus. Right? That you're both of those things at the very same time. If you never admit that like a sheep, you are wayward and vulnerable and foolish and weak, Right, if you never admit that, you're going to live your entire life feeling like a poser. You're going to live your entire life figuring, feeling like you have to be something you're not. Be someone better than you are, more than you are. But if you only believe that, right, if you only believe that you're stupid and weak and foolish, you'll be trapped in, in self-loathing. You'll be trapped in, with, a, with a too low of a view of yourself. If you want to know who you are in the eyes of God, a solid core to build an identity for yourself, it's the identity that Christ has already given you, that you are both deeply flawed, weak, foolish, and broken, and at the very same time, loved, cherished, and valued in the eyes of Jesus. And if you want to know how valued you are in the eyes of your good shepherd, look at what Jesus says. He begins to stretch this metaphor of the good shepherd, almost to the breaking point. When he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right, strictly speaking, 
a good shepherd, like a, a smart shepherd, does not die for his sheep. Right? A smart shepherd realizes I have a whole flock of sheep, and the sheep exist for me, not me for the sheep. Right? They're here to make a livelihood for me, to provide wool for me and my family so I can sell it. If I see one of them about to jump off a cliff, I don't go and myself jump off the cliff to save it. Right? That's bad shepherding. And yet Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right? Uh, we love our pets. Right? If you have a pet, you probably love it probably a little too much. Right? We have a, a missionary friend, Naftali, who uh, was just was here meeting with some of our friends the other day. And he comes from Kenya. And always the hardest part of him uh, when he's in America, he stays with an empty nester couple uh, that has three dogs that they treat like children. And he always says, in Kenya, dogs are dogs. In America, dogs are children. You know? But if you have a dog, I love my dog. I love Baxter. And yet, I would, I would do a lot to, to help Baxter. I, would, I, I feed Baxter. I take him to the vet. I do all that. But if one day I saw a truck heading for Baxter, I would not throw myself in front of the truck to save Baxter. Why? Because a human life is more valuable than a dog life. Even the best, he's a great dog. Right, it doesn't make sense to trade the more valuable life for the animal life. And yet Jesus, some of you are having trouble with that. Um, but Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down the most valuable life that has ever existed in the universe. The life of God, the life of the second person of the Trinity. He says, I so love my sheep that I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life of supreme worth for my sheep. Now you might think that somebody, you know what, I've got, for a good dog, for a dog that always obeys, for a dog that always comes to his master immediately when he calls, for, for a lassie kind of dog, maybe a master would lay down his life. But is that what kind of sheep we've been to God? No, we have been the kind of sheep that continually wander away, the kind of sheep that do not listen to his voice, the kind of sheep that spurn our master. And he says, for that kind of sheep, I lay down my life so that I might win him back to myself. And I absolutely love this verse. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, that God the Father rejoices over his Son. Right? Think about the words of the Father over the Son at his baptism. This is my Son. In him I am well pleased. But those words of the Father's love that, that echoed out at his baptism echo out even louder over the cross as he sees his son dying for his wayward sheep. He says, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. The father's love for the son is never more perfect than when he sees his son doing what he came to do, laying down his life for his sheep. The father and the son and the spirit are so joined together in their plan of redeeming his flock that God the Father looks on the death of his son, the death of his only begotten son, 
And in that moment, you can, you can hear him singing the words of the hymn, my G- if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's right now. Right now in the moment of your sacrifice, in the moment of your death. And when you know this kind of love, when you know this kind of love of a shepherd who both knows you and loves you, knowing the worst of you gave himself for you, then you become the kind of person who can know and love him in return. Right? Jesus says that his, that his sheep listen to his voice, that his sheep follow him, that they will not follow the voice of another because when they hear their shepherd's voice, they follow him because they know that he loves them. They know that, they know that he knows them. The image at play here of sheep listening to their shepherd's voice I learned this this week in study that in, you know, our image of shepherding in the West is uh, we think of a shepherd uh, driving his sheep. He leads them from behind and he has sheep dogs that run around the flock to keep them in, right? That's why English and Scottish uh, sheep farmers bred sheep dogs. Eastern farmers, the farmers that would have been Jesus's contemporaries, they shepherded a different way. They shepherded from the front of their flock. And their flock were attuned to hear their voice, to recognize the voice of their shepherd, and to follow. And so the image that Jesus is using is of a large herd of sheep would have belonged to several different shepherds over their care. And that his shepherd, his sheep, when they hear his voice, they tune out all of the other voices of all of the other would-be shepherds, and they go to their shepherd. They go to Jesus. And so that's what we're being called to, is to be the kind of followers who hear the voice of their shepherd and follow. Because there are other voices. There are other voices in our world, there's other voices in our lives that say, follow me, come this way, and you'll have life. Right? If you have enough money, you'll have life. If you have the right kind of relationship, you'll have life. If you have that thing that you think you can't live without, you'll find life. Jesus says, anything that promises you life apart from me is a false shepherd. It's a thief. It's a robber. It's one that comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Interestingly, the, uh, the Confessing Church was a, was a group in 1930s and 40s Germany. This is the faithful church uh, that in the midst of a time when the, the German National Church was trading in the belief in the gospel in order to to co-align themselves with Hitler and the Nazi party. The confessing church, uh, great cost to themselves, many of the signers of this document lost their lives, put out a statement of faith called the Barman Declaration, in which they said, basically, no, the church has no other center, no other shepherd than Christ. And they used this verse uh, as one of the texts that they used to justify what what they were saying in their document. Verse 2, he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, In verse 1, he who climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That when the church aligns itself around ethnic pride, racial pride, patriotic pride, and aligns itself with some other source other than its good shepherd, it goes astray. It ceases to be who it's meant to be. The church loses her power. And so we are made to know that we are known and loved by Jesus and to know and to love him in return. And what this means for most of us 
is most of us need to be reminded that you are always and forever Jesus' lamb. You know, if I can be honest, over the last couple weeks, I have been tired. Christmas uh, in and of itself can be exhausting. It can be especially exhausting when you're a pastor. Right? All of us have responsibility on our shoulders. Right? All of us in some ways are shepherds. Right? You have shepherding responsibilities, many of you in the church. You have shepherding responsibilities. To be a mother, to be a father is to be a shepherd. Right? To have responsibility at work over people and over your, your, your business is to be a shepherd. And yet Jesus would remind us, Jesus reminded me this week, is that before you're a shepherd, before you feel the weight of responsibility that's laid on you, you have to remember that you're a lamb. Right? Before you think about all that you have to do, before you have to think about all of your responsibilities that you take on to yourself, you need to remember that you are always Jesus' little lamb. That as we looked at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he longs to gather you close to his heart and to hold you. Maybe you're like me and need to be reminded of the, the old children's hymn written in the 1700s. I am Jesus' little lamb, ever glad at heart I am, for my shepherd gently guides me, knows my need, and well provides me. Loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is stunningly good news that the good shepherd became himself the sacrificial lamb. That the one who was king and son from eternity entered into this world to lay down his life for his sheep, to shepherd us safely back to God, to lead us into green pastures, to set us down beside still waters, and to restore our souls. Lord Jesus, help us to know and to find our life in your love for us. Help us to trust and to so know your voice that we follow our shepherd wherever you lead. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.